What's up, everyone? You have reached the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. And we are very happy that you have decided to join us for your, <laughs> your bath time with Zinfandel. And a little Kenny G. And a little Kenny G, but very low, so you can still hear our voices. Um, I know, you know, <laughs> bath, we should, we bath should, and a nice glass is we, one of Alan's favorite pastimes. We should play Kenny G in the background. We should. We, we should. If I don't want to hear the real thing, why would I want to hear it coming from you? Because it's me, and I'm one of the sons of history. Well, if you keep it up, <laughs> you're not going to be one for very long. <laughs> oh, man. Um, hey, guys, if you didn't check out our last episode, which dealt with the birthright citizenship, um, that, that whole situation going on, uh, we highly recommend that you go check that one out. But we did want to make a, not a correction, but a clarification on the Canada uh, birthright citizenship. The sources that we were reading, some of them stated that Canada did not have birthright citizenship, and some of them did. So we were not able to confirm it until mm -hmm. now. Uh, yeah, we did further research um, and come to find out that it's been a very contentious subject in Canada uh, between the left and the right, um, but they still have birthright citizenship. One of their primary worries is birth tourism, uh, where apparently it's it's a relatively, I guess, big thing that's going on and that has been going on in Canada. Canada, where women fly into Canada, I guess maybe vacation type of thing, and it's sort of they're going in and having their child in Canada. Therefore, their child has citizenship outright in Canada. Uh, so they've they've addressed that. Um, it's actually been brought up again. A bill has been brought up by the Conservative Party um, as, hey, we need to get rid of birthright citizenship. The left has come out and said this is, quote unquote, um, division and hate. Yeah, Trudeau uh, will never. Yeah, Trudeau is not is not going to be for that. Um, so, but anyways, off of Canada and on to America and the caravan situation. That's what we're going to be talking about. It's a real hot button issue. Uh, have you watched any news about uh, this whole situation or I <laughs> have you kept your ear? It's been ears on the closed. news. I've been reading about it. I'm listening to a lot of the people screaming about how we're, you know, how can we hurt these poor mothers with their babies and mm -hmm. tear gassing them, which if I remember correctly, five years ago uh, under the Obama administration, uh, we were doing the same thing where there were hundreds of migrants storming, I think in California yeah. and uh, well, we tear gassed them too. Mm -hmm. But I guess now it's considered evil yeah. back then it was, uh, elevated to you're, you're doing your job yeah very exactly yeah it's it's very um okay well what was okay just a few years ago is now not okay now and that's something that we do want to discuss further in this podcast but being tear gassed uh it's not aiming at women and children yes they were they were there but when you're rushing the border um, one of the things that we want to talk about is how people were being influenced to, yeah, take off, rush the border. Um, and they rushed the border, rushed at the wall, and then started throwing rocks and projectiles, quote unquote, um, at the Border Patrol and, uh, and the there are videos. Of yeah, there are videos. There's video footage. Right. Yeah. They're throwing. It's, it, there's a lot of video evidence for that. It was just a mad rush of about, I think, about 100 people took off towards the wall. And there's video evidence of people in the caravan that have been ripping down walls that separate in other uh, separate borders yeah, in, in other countries in Mexico, uh, on their way up here. Yeah. yeah, in Mexico they were tearing down the walls. Right. And in one of the things I know we're going to bring up is the fact that when you 
are seeking asylum, mm -hmm. you are supposed to go to the first country you go to. That is where you're supposed to go, maybe say to the U.S. Embassy and yeah. state, I'm seeking asylum. Mexico has offered them asylum. Correct. Mexico has offered them jobs. Correct. Healthcare, schooling. Mm -hmm. And, and they, there haven't been very many takers. There have been some, but some. there haven't been very many takers. No, it's yeah. been a mission uh, to get to the U.S., despite the fact that from the beginning, it's been, look, turn around, go home, do this the right way. One of the things I wanted to point out, because a lot of people bring up the poem that is on the Statue of Liberty, and it says... Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning the, to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send those, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's a beautiful poem. I like it. It's part of American history, but it's not law. It's a poem. It's it, nice. Well, first of all, it's the Statue of Liberty. Correct. It's not the Statue of Migration. Right. Uh, it was a gift from France for liberty. Right. And um, now it has been taken over, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to think what the right word is, where they're saying this is about immigration. No, it's not about immigration. Now, migrants who came here and went to Ellis Island just happened to see the Statue of Liberty, and that gave them hope. Mm -hmm. But that gave them hope for liberty. Right. Freedom. Uh, Bill of Rights. Correct. That is what the Statue of Liberty is. And freedom and, stems from law. Right. And we want to kind of keep the laws that we have, follow the Constitution, mm -hmm. not adapt the laws of the old world or or even third or, world. Yeah, or third world or what's going on now. Like Here's, here's the thing that I, I explain to a lot of people is... People are like, okay, how can we keep these people from coming into our country? Why is that? Why would we do that? And, and it's, it's very simple. It's people come here because it is a land of laws. It is a, and when there, it's a land of laws, that means it's a land of protection. Therefore, you're protected under the law. If you're a citizen of, a, of the U.S., you are, it's equal protection under the law. Correct. So people want to come here because there is it's a, it's a land of laws leaving a country where it's lawlessness. So, yes, I understand why they're coming over here, but you can't come over and say, you know, we're going to break all the laws. And this is this is people within the U.S. I've had conversations with people, like American citizens mm -hmm. who are wanting to break the law to make amends for people to come in so they can get out of a bad situation. One of the things I did want to bring up was that is based on emotion. It's based on passion. And that's one of the things that the founders always referenced to steer clear of as far as making a decision. You make irrational decisions based on passion. I want to give a quote by Benjamin Franklin, which is pretty famous. And he said, passion governs and she never governs wisely. I mean, it is, it is true to fact right there. One more quote I want to add, and then you can, you know, pipe in here, which is Federalist Paper number 49. Um, and this is Madison saying, the passions, therefore, not the reason of the public would sit in judgment, but it is the reason alone of the public that ought to control and regulate the government. And then he says, the passions ought to be controlled and regulated by the government. So it's, it's a really interesting how he says the reason of the public needs to regulate the government. But when passions get out of control within the public, that needs to be regulated by the government. And that is what's going on right now, where the, the, um, the reason of the government has to come in, you know, and the reason of the, the the reason of the public creates the laws, right? And therefore, they create the laws because they make sense. They're not based out of passion. Things that are based out of passion are usually, after a little while, you're like, "Well, that was a real screw up, so we got to get rid of that law," okay. right? So, 
when you create laws that make sense, it's usually because you you reason these things out, which is why we have Congress who de who deliberate on putting these things together. If it's unconstitutional, it goes before the you know judicial review and they they kick it out, right? So these things are put into place so that we can be protected against the government, but also protected against from ourselves. I'm going to tell you a couple of things. I, I myself have a history of, uh, of the whole migration thing. My parents were immigrants. Right. My parents went through a process. They didn't state that they were going to come here in spite of what our laws are. Mm -hmm. They went through the necessary paperwork. They, they did the natural course. They, they went to the consulate and they applied for um, entry into this country, right. which was eventually granted to them. When they came here to the United States, no, they, they couldn't speak English. My father spoke some English, mother, not at all. But they learned to adapt. They became Americans. Mm -hmm. They were, um, what's the word where when you have the people, when you have enough people that they become... Uh, acclimated? Acclimated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, or accustomed? What I'm trying to state is is that you don't want to bring in such a large group of people at the same time because yeah. then what happens is is that they will come in and they will stick to their own laws from the old country. They'll stick to their, their practices. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of these people have come from countries that either had archaic laws or they had no laws. Right. Um, give you an example. Many of the migrants that are storming into Europe right now are escaping a religion. Mm -hmm. Even though it's their religion, they're a group that have you know, taken, over, in the taken over and made terrorism. it into like yep. a theocratic society where they have absolutely no freedom. Right. The problem is, is that they're not coming in and, and becoming part of Western civilization, mm -hmm. liberal democracy, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. They are going in there, and they are creating a nation within a nation mm -hmm. based on what they left right. that, that they're escaping from. Right. Now, you have many people in some of these third world countries that are doing the same thing. They're coming in here, and they're creating a nation within a nation. Uh, they're creating telev television stations, like, give you an example, Telemundo. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not... They're not becoming Americans. Mm -hmm. They are becoming, you know, Mexican Americans. Or they, I'm a Mexican, you know, and they'll proudly wave their Mexican flag. They, they, you know, we want people coming in here legally in the legal legal way, stating that they want to become Americans. Mm -hmm. I want to be an American, like my parents. Mm -hmm. They they celebrated the Fourth of July. Yeah. They celebrated American holidays, Thanksgiving spoke English, they acclimated to the American way of life. They did not stand there and make demands stating that, you know, uh, where's, where's my, uh, my, my benefits? I want my benefits. Where's, uh, you know, we're, we're living in poverty. We need money from right. the government. That, that's not, you know, my dad worked two jobs. It was just enough to have opportunity. Right. He wanted the opportunity. He wa right. he didn't want anything standing in his way of achieving the goals mm -hmm. that he wanted. Yeah. But he didn't ask for any handouts. Right. Okay. Now, when you allow a small group of people coming in, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, they become acclimated to the American way. Mm -hmm. You bring in a large group. I'm going to give you some examples of, uh, of... Now, I do want to hit on on what you're saying. You can go on, but I do want to hit on what you're saying with as far as acclimation. Okay. Yeah. Assimilation. That's the word. Assimilation. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, in uh, 1948, okay. you had uh, the, the war in Palestine. And you had hundreds of thousands of refugees who, uh, of Arabs who, who left uh, what became the nation of Israel. Now, what happened was, and this is a danger that we are now seeing in Europe right now, when you have a group of refugees who do not feel that they are being treated equally as the host nation, they rebel, they start riots. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have history on my side. Yeah, this is not a matter, this is not a matter of, uh, oh, he's, he's a xenophobe. No, um, 
the, the, the Palestinians in Jordan, they started a, a war there. There was a war that took place in 1970. They called it Black September, where King Hussein could not control the Palestinian groups within his own nation. Hmm. And King Hussein went to war with them, and he slaughtered tens of thousands of uh, Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, there was a civil war in Lebanon. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians went into Lebanon. Which is where your parents were. Which is where my parents are from. Mm-hmm. And they, they helped with the civil war themselves. Uh, Yasser Arafat actually fought wars with the Lebanese army. I, in, in 73, there was even battles going on around the uh, airport. They felt like they were not being treated equally. They felt, you know, we're being second or third class citizens. And they rebelled and they fought and there was a war and it, it turned into a, a like eight year civil war, hmm. which then ended up becoming even longer. It, it didn't end until 1990. Wow. Other, other uh, historical um, um, Examples. Right. Uh, let's talk about, the, let's say, the Roman Empire. Okay. okay. Go well, way we, back. We go okay. way back. Now, uh, the Roman Empire, a lot of people say, well, how did Rome fall? One of the reasons why Rome fell were that there were these migrants called the Goths. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the year 378, the, the Goths and the Alans, yes, there was a group called the Alans, <laughs> Who were the escaping worst, the from worst of the human yeah, kind. No, the Alans were superior. <laughs> but the Goths and the Alans were refugees from the Huns. Okay. They were pushed into the Roman Empire. Well, they felt they were not being treated as well as the uh, the Romans themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, they fought a battle and they and they actually beat the Romans. Uh, they they killed Emperor Valens. It was called the Battle of Adrianople. It was in the year three seventy eight. Uh, later on, there was another example where a uh, a Visigoth by the name of uh, King Alaric. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was also there. They were migrants into Rome, yeah. and they felt like they were. You know, there there were some problems between the indigenous Romans and and the uh, Visigoths. Yeah. And about thirty thousand Roman soldiers of Gothic defen- de- de- descent mm-hmm. sided with Alaric. They defected, fought with Visigoth and with the Visigoths, and those Visigoths, including King Alaric, sacked Rome in the year 410. They would give refugees, they would say, okay, if you're going to come in, you need to become a Roman soldier. Mm-hmm. The, it, they turned around later on and used that against the very people that, uh, that hosted them. Wow. So this is why it's very important there are historical examples. You have to assimilate people, and you can't assimilate people when you have so many coming yeah. in at the same time. And one of the things that is mentioned um, by Madison a lot in the Federalist Papers is faction. Um, and we talk about we're talking about immigration from other countries, like people coming in in mass into another country, um, and it does it can create faction because it's not just. There are factions within countries. Like you have factions, and we had factions in school growing up. You know, if you if you and your friends went to the same middle school and you went to a high school, but then there were other kids from different middle schools going to that same high school. Obviously, it's that that faction that's created because it's the you know you're familiar with who you're around, and this would be the same thing that would end up that can take place, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do want to. Maybe not warn, but sort of side with uh, maybe maybe the other side of, of the of the argument, which is when it comes to people who they keep the Mexican flag uh, waving, uh, where they say I'm Mexican American, um, or people who continue practicing a lot of what they grew up in in their country, or their parents did, or their grand, they keep those traditions alive. See, I. I think that creating and, and sustaining those traditions and those cultures are very important to just the, the uniqueness of America. Because I remember one time, this is back in the day, probably about uh, seven, eight years ago. I was, I was in a band, rock band, rocking it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's something you didn't know about me, did it? Huh? Stevens and Pruitt. Come on. You guys never played our music. 
Uh, it wasn't very good. (laughs) But we only played good music on our station. But afterwards, like the guitarist, he's like, "Hey, man, you want to go to this party? It's my boss, and he's hosting a party." And it uh, was—I don't think it was a quinceanera. I think it may have been a quinceanera, right? Um, It was either that or it was the guy's daughter's graduation. I can't remember which one it was, but it was full Mexican party, uh, full fiesta, and. It was one of the greatest parties I've ever been to. And it was, it, we're not talking about, you know, how people are like, it was such an amazing party. I don't even remember what happened because they, you know, blacked out from alcohol. Um, no, this was different. I mean, it was so great. And it was that culture and it sort of turned a light on in my head. I'm like, man, this is what makes America so great is that you can have your culture from your, from your, from your family's history. You can keep that alive and you can still assimilate in America. Now, I agree with what you're saying because it's there are people who can they keep their culture alive. They keep they keep their uh, country's heritage alive and may they may have, you know, the Spanish flag or, you know, the Greek flag or whatever. You know, they may have those things that they still celebrate, but they still have assimilated to the American norms or the American traditions, the right. American ways. They don't fight it. They don't like no, this is this is no good. And I think I know what you're talking about when there is the worry of, let's say, in the European nations where you have a lot of people who are leaving, you know, Syria. Let's just use Syria as an example. They left Syria due to the war that was going on and they went to these this other, you know, westernized country, but they took their traditions as far as like the Sharia law, right? Which super, they, they, there's a lot of people who go in and they have that supersede the law of the land. Yeah. Their expectation is is that the governments in Europe Mm -hmm. must respect Sharia law. law. And it's like, but that's against the law of the land. You can't do that. And then there are people who are advocates for doing that. And that is really people who are like, it's human rights or, you know, it's equality or something like that, which is horse crap because that's not true. It's the law of the land. And what you are requesting is a recipe for anarchism, Mm -hmm. anarchism, and which would create a collapse of government. And then you have the same exact issue that Mm -hmm. the reason why they left their country in the first place is absolute chaos. Right. Because Sharia law and the, and the constitution they're mutually exclusive. Very mutually exclusive. And, you know, I mean, if if you want to come here and you want to practice your religion, God bless you. But then to expect that the government is going to have to abide by uh, your practices. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, for instance, um, okay, um, I have four wives. Uh-huh. Or um, the testimony of one woman does not count. You have to have two women. Mm-hmm. Um, in a court of law, which is yeah. what the Sharia, which is what the Sharia courts do. Okay. Um, there's certain things that you know women can't do. Right. There's a whole slew of things. Yeah, it's, go, it's, we're, yeah we're, we're not here to talk yeah. about Sharia. We're here to talk Correct. about the respect for law. You know, come here and be a part of the American tradition. Be, mm-hmm. Become part of the American family. Yeah. If we, you know, uh, during World War II, you had Italians and Germans and Japanese mm-hmm. who fought against. Germany, Italy, and Japan. Correct. Yeah, because they were, you know, the some of the best, if not the most, patriotic fighters yeah. in World War II were the uh, I think they call them the Nisei, and those were the Japanese Americans who were interned. Yeah, and they fought in Europe, and they were the bravest soldiers. They yeah. were the most patriotic soldiers. That is America. So, and I'll just do a little plug here. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've seen it, but Ken Burns, the War. Uh-huh. Uh, about World War II, incredible. That's for the listeners. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think yeah. Ken Burns is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the assimilation, becoming part of America, it's, it's also, let's say, for instance, on a Thanksgiving, you have a huge party. and Now, your last name is Bass. Now, you marry a woman, let's say her name is Trout. Anyway, so... That's she, terrible. Uh, okay. Well, salmon, I don't know. <laughs> She can be last name. <laughs> but, you know, let's say she is now, your wife is now part of the Bass family. Yeah. You married into her, okay? Right. But imagine she's like, no, I'm not a Bass. I am a so-and-so, mm-hmm. and 
you know, this is not my family. Your, your parents are not my family. Yeah. That's what mass migration can lead to. It can. We want people, We do want. We, we want do want immigrants. Here. We do want them because, as they say, and, you know, it's, it's repeated a lot. And a lot of times it's taken out of context. But we are. We're a nation of immigrants. Yeah. Like, we came over here. Everybody, you know, came over here. And, you know, there's some that are fifth, you know, to 10 to 12 generations deep. But at the same time, like, like my my uh, great 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 grandfather came from Scotland uh-huh. um, on my mother's side. So yeah, we're we are a nation of immigrants. But at the same time, it's like as much as we're like, well, what's the culture? The culture is is American. The I mean, American it, it's it's the American culture. It's American traditions. Yeah, and you're able to bring in your traditions and your right. cultures. That's fine. I do want to move on. I, I want to, to mention one real quick thing. Okay. The visions. Uh, we don't want the visions in this country now. Martin Luther King was talking about you know like you know he wanted Jews and Gentiles and black and white all coming together. Right. Which is what the goal is. Correct. It's not creating a new division where okay, well. You know, if, if you don't, let's say, speak English, how am I going to communicate and see you as a fellow American? Right. If you speak... If I can't even talk to you, yeah. which is... If you speak English and you and you, be, you communicate with us and you become a part of us, then you become part of the American family. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of becoming part of the American family, uh, we discussed how keeping people from being part of the American family took place in uh, our last episode regarding the Chinese Exclusion Act. I did want to mention there, just sort of run over that uh, quickly because there's there's always two sides to every coin, um, last time I checked. So one of the problems that apparently was an issue back in the 1800s, mid-1800s, was there were too many Chinese people apparently in, in America. And there was apparently a lot of people who didn't like that. Um, and apparently it took place a lot in California. So you mean like the nonpartisan anti-American, anti-Chinese American league? Are you part of that? No, (laughs) (laughs) no, there was a group called the nonpartisan anti-Chinese league or that's a long name. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like being part of groups with long names. The sons of history is really as far as I like to go, but California ended up uh, passing a lot of state legislations or state bills um, that went against the the 1868 Burlingame Seward Treaty with China. Mm-hmm. So America already had a had a, a treaty with China. And as as we know and the constitution reiterates this ch- treaties that are that are made with other countries those are binding across the board. Those are across the so another like a state can't create its own treaty with another country. So, um, now Congress passed a bill to limit the number of Chinese on a boat. This was, this was sort of later on, Mm -hmm. right? So they passed a bill to limit the number of Chinese immigrants to 15, like for each boat that came in, there could only be 15 Chinese people on it. Um, so Rutherford B. Hayes vetoed that bill. But Hayes knew that there was an issue at hand with all the Chinese immigrants that were coming in. So he wanted to revise the treaty. Um, and so that led to the Angle Treating Treaty. And then Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. Now, that's what we talked about last week uh, in, the, in the last episode of the Chinese Exclusion Act. This prohibited Chinese immigration for 10 years. So there's a 10-year block and they said no more Chinese people can come in here. And it's it was one of those arguments that they're taking up all of our jobs. And so we've heard that argument before from people who are, you could say, anti-immigration or they want to slow down immigration or whatever it is. Or they see the actual issues that can arise from too much immigration. Um, so you had that, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and then you had the Scott Act of 1888, um, which was where the, the Wan Kim Art uh, issue also uh, stemmed from. So it was no reentry. Remember, because he had, he had left, he'd yeah. gone to China, and he mm-hmm. came back, and when he came back, he wasn't allowed to be, you know, he wasn't allowed into the country. And so he took his court, his, his case to, and it got to the Supreme Court, and it's a pretty famous case. 
um, because they said no reentry to U.S. to the U.S. after a visit to China, unless of course you're a Chinese, unless you're an American citizen. Right. But he was a he was an American citizen. He was able to prove it, although his parents were only legal residents. Um, then you had the Geary Act of 1892, which renewed the exclusion for another 10 years. Um, and just something uh, people may not know, 1902, uh, exclusion also then included Hawaii and the Philippines. And interestingly enough, the Chinese Exclusion Act was extended indefinitely and didn't end until it was repealed in 1943. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things. And we talked about pinpointing a certain race or nation, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, well, that's that's not right. That's not fair. Um, but that's that's what took place. Um and I want to discuss the fact that there have been laws written throughout the course of our history that restrict immigration. Um, and sometimes, like we just discussed, immigration from a specific country. Um, and sometimes you have to do that because you have so many that are coming over from just one country. And we only have, um, we can only allow so many in on a yearly basis. Right. Um, did you want to add anything? Because I'm about to go into the major immigration uh, at the turn of the century. No, no. I know that uh, there was the whole thing about uh, from certain specific Muslim nations. And I think there might have been a non-Muslim. I don't know if North Korea was one of them. Uh, but I know that that was an example that just recently took place. You talked about the Muslim ban. Uh, correct. Yeah. I think there were, what, seven nations where... There yeah, there was a utter chaos. Right. Yemen, there was uh, right. There Libya. was a list that had been put together under yeah. the Obama administration. Uh-huh. That it was, you know, this is these are the top, these are the countries that we have to watch out for. These are the most dangerous countries, uh-huh. uh, and where there was a, like a lot of terrorism uh-huh. uh, in those countries, and I think all of them may have been Muslim majority nations, uh, if I remember correctly. So it was slapped on as a Muslim ban. Because yeah, of the, I think, the things that Trump had said during the campaign, right. I think Vene- I think Venezuela was on that list. Uh, there was a there was a change in the in the law itself. If I remember correctly, you can. And, and I don't know if that's that correct. Venezuela, I don't know if Venezuela is well on there. Actually, no. I think I think Venezuela is on there. I have. A they may be on there now. Now, but yes. they weren't on there at the. No, it was amended. That, right during it was that amended time. Right. for some of our enemies, and I believe North Korea was on there also. But now that we're having friendly relations, that might have been removed. Yeah. Um. So yeah. But going on to the. Immigration issue at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean we've we've had those those situations. That's a pretty recent situation that took place um, banning people from certain countries. You know, to show you how old I am, turn <laughs> of the century. You talking about this century or last century? Yeah, well, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Tell me about it. For turn me, the of turn the twentieth century. For me, the turn of the century is the 1901. So I wanted to point out that there was sort of an open borders policy that. America embraced for a long, very long period of time. And we sort of went over that last week that this, the Americas is still quote unquote, the new world, or at least we used to be probably not so much now over the past 100 years, but for the first, you know, about 400 years of our existence, it was all new world and everybody was, you know, trying to get over here. Um, But between 1900 and 1920, we had a bit of a, an open borders thing, and so we, we closed that up. The U.S. admitted approximately 14.5 million immigrants during that 20-year span. And those were primarily from Southern and Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was a requirement to actually even, even get on. It wasn't so much like, okay, everybody come on in. They started restricting how the types of people that could come in. They had They required literacy tests. So... Whoever was coming over had to be able to read and write in their own language, not so much English, but in their own language, they had to be able to read and write. Um, And then they started adding pre-inspections and they started getting more rigorous about the medical exams because that can be really dangerous where people are coming like from third world countries where they're coming over. And so you have to have um, you have to have checkups to make sure that they're not bringing any 
diseases, communicable diseases uh, that can spread among, you know, Ebola. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one of the other things is they started the National Origins Quota System, mm-hmm. and this stemmed from the Immigration Acts of 1921 and 1924. So each nationality received a quota based on its representation in the in the past uh, United States census figures. So based on whatever the census brought up, like, okay, this is how many are from this country and this country and this country. Okay, okay, now we got to... We got to restrict. We got to put a quota on it. We got to lower the quota. Um, it's that's one of the things that just takes place. The State Department uh, distributed a limited number of visas each year through the U.S. embassies. Um, the Immigration Service only uh, admitted immigrants who arrived with a valid visa. So those laws, those restrictions, started to come in into play heavily at the turn of the 20th century. Congress created the U.S. Border Patrol in 1924. Um, and that was because of the rise of illegal immigration. Uh, then the Immigration Board of Review was put into place so they could hear the appeals from people who were trying to come over. Um, and so there were that's that's brought us to where we are because we hear Border Patrol all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people, I didn't even know, uh, that it's been around for 100 years. Well, um, I have a solution with what's going on right now. <laughs> what if we manned the walls along California, Texas with Native Americans? Man, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> well, Holy there is crap. a group, there is a group <laughs> okay. called Pueblo Sin Fronteras. They don't believe in us even having any type of border. They don't believe in borders. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in nations. Now, you know, if you take a look at what happened, there was that John Chow guy, the 27-year-old missionary who went to the, uh, what was it, North Sentinel Island, uninvited, and he was killed by the Sentinelese, and many on the left were saying, well, you know, he shouldn't have been there, that wasn't his country, he went there uninvited. When did this happen? You didn't hear about that missionary who was killed? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, recently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, there there were many people that were like, he shouldn't have been there. That, been that's there. not his country. Yeah. The, the Sentinels had a right to defend themselves. Right. These are the same <laughs> it's people... It's the same people. Sent- like, do you hear yourself talking? These are the same people, but the same people who defended the Sentinelese killing that missionary are the same people who are saying, we need to allow all these people in. Right. Um... Now, if you listen to them, say, 10, 20 years ago, 20 years ago especially, mm-hmm. like when uh, Bill Clinton was president, mm-hmm. or um, even even recently when uh, Barack Obama was president, right? he was sounded very much like uh, President Trump. Yeah. And we have uh, something from the president, a recording of the president, talking about border security. First of all, if passed, this bill would be the biggest commitment to border security in our nation's history. It would put another $6.5 billion on top of what we're already spending towards stronger, smarter security along our borders. It would increase criminal penalties against smugglers and traffickers. It would finally give every employer a reliable way to check that every person they're hiring is here legally and would hold employers more accountable if they knowingly hire undocumented workers. So it strengthens border security, but also enforcement within our borders. I know there's a lot of talk right now about border security, so let me repeat. Today, illegal crossings are near their lowest level in decades. And if passed, the Senate bill, as currently written and is hidden the floor, would put in place the toughest border enforcement plan that America has ever seen. So nobody's taking border enforcement lightly. Based on... <laughs> okay, so... You said illegal crossings. Now they don't even use that word anymore. Right. It, and he says nobody is taking illegal immigration lightly. I, I think there are a lot of people who are taking it lightly. And it's really bothersome. It's really annoying. 
It's really frustrating. It's very angering that it's, well, let just let them in. And that's one of the quotes. That's one of the chants. Let them in. And these are typically, you know, far left groups, which we'll jump into um, and discuss them. Like you just, you discussed the Pueblo uh, Sin Fronteras. That group is a far left leaning group. And I want to mention a, a few things uh, that they're, they're doing to undermine the na our nation's sovereignty. Uh, and a lot of that stuff is taking place within, with these groups that are, these are American citizens that are trying to undermine the, the laws and the sovereignty of, of the nation. Um, and so now we have the, the caravan movement that's been going on for months on end. Mm -hmm. And now, and here's what and this I, was five more, five more behind them. Right. It's, this isn't yeah, the only one. This isn't caravan. the only one. Right. There are, there are, I believe, yeah, I believe there are six in all. And one of the things that really bugged me when reporters would ask uh, the president questions on it, and they would be like, it, it, why are you even worried about it? It's, they're a thousand miles away. Why are you worried about it? And then uh, I remember Acosta, he, he mentioned it during, mm -hmm. and we referenced uh, that interaction between Acosta and Trump in one of our episodes. He's like, they're hundreds of miles away. Well, and guess what? They're here. Yeah. They're here now. And, not only that, and it's called saying, foresight. And it's, uh, he also said, that's not an invasion. They're trying to storm That's an invasion. That's if an you're invasion. Rushing the, if you're rushing the border, if you're rushing the wall and trying to climb over, that would be an invasion. Yeah, I'm sure Jim Acosta probably lives in a gated community. And there's a good and chance. And if people stormed uh, that gated community, I think he would be uh, a little worried there, a little concerned. Now, here's the thing. It's been, it's been known that the majority of people that are coming in these caravans are from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Those are the primary three. Sure. Um, and there are, there are more on the way. And I understand. I get it. And I, 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 I saw them. Yes. I saw them. You can see these, these yes. are good people. I get why they are on their way. I understand yeah. why they are coming. I And honestly, and I've told my friends over the, for the past few years, like I would be doing the same thing. Yeah, I would too. If I lived in a country where you're not sure if, if, if you're going to get killed or the only way to survive is to run drugs or if you just know that, hey, we're, there is no equal protection under the law. The government's bought. So... Yes, and it, you no, live in poverty. Yeah, there are no jobs. There are there's no, no jobs. There's no opportunity. There's nothing. So I get it. I'm not saying these people are coming over for the wrong reasons, but you can't you can't claim asylum because of your economic right. status. That's that's not one of the things. There has to be a credible fear test that you have to pass, and um, the credible fear test involves. Making sure that you tell the Border Patrol, and then if you go before the judge, you have to convince them of why it is. And, and this is on the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services. Um, and so it says, a, what is a credible fear of, and it's two things, persecution or torture. And it says a significant possibility that you can establish in a hearing before an immigration judge that you have been persecuted or have a well-founded fear of persecution on account of your race, religion, nationality, membership, and a particular social group or political opinion if returned to your country. And the other for torture is a significant possibility, and these significant possibility is in quotes, so you really have to prove that, that you can establish in a hearing before an immigration judge that you would be subject to torture if returned to your country. So... Yeah, but you have to prove that. Um, and I mean, they, they, they get to Mexico. Here's what I don't If you're understand. coming in and you say, well, why are you coming in? Well, I'm poor and I'm just looking for work. As, as maybe noble as that is, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it doesn't pass the credible fear. It doesn't pass the test. Well, and you'll be turned away. Right. I mean, we there's 7 billion people in this world. We can't take everybody in. And we Now, the United States clear, clearly has a successful economic model. Right. Why don't we export that successful economic model to Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala and Nicaragua? Ah, see, I know what you're talking about because we there were times that we tried to do that 
And right. we did that in a very shady, questionable way. Right. And I want to plug this book. This is an old book. This is from the uh, early 1960s written. It's called The Invisible Government by David Wise and Thomas Ross. Uh, if you haven't read it, I advise reading. But if you don't know sort of the, the history of the CIA and how, you know, they had tried in a number of occasions to create these coups and then assassinations, and sometimes they actually were successful in this stuff. Um, but it was to f- make sure that leaders were put into position that were uh, agreeable and worked with with America and the Western world and focused more on capitalism rather than communism. That was one of the main rises. Uh, is that where you're sort of messing yeah, it, going it with? It is. I mean, you know, like Britain has done, has had success with some nations, um, seeing to it that they, you know, they were backward, backward when they arrived. But when they left, Hong Kong, Singapore, right. Malaysia, mm-hmm. um, even even India. Yeah. Um, and you have that same exact thing. I, I was mentioning that to you before the show started, was in the first time in about 40 years, there are more Mexicans leaving the U.S. to go back to Mexico mm-hmm. than coming from Mexico to the U.S. And that is almost 100% because their economy is doing so well now. It's starting to really do well. Um, and so if the economy will do well in these other countries, if they will open up the you know the whole free market enterprise and, and really embrace capitalism instead of socialism or communism – um, or just totalitarianism, then you can open up the possibilities mm-hmm. for all of all of your citizens. I think that's and then you Do- boom. I think that's what Donald Trump is trying to uh, give to the North Koreans. He's saying, look at South Korea. Look at look. I mean, they were a Japanese colony for the longest time. Yeah, they were a Japanese colony for about uh, I want to say forty years. Yeah, and they were. They were very poor and backwards. And, and it wasn't and just Korea now. Yeah. And here's the thing with that. I want to, because I got a lot of information on, on the whole Korean uh, issue. What happened over there during the Korean War was a split between capitalism and communism. Yeah, you know? Right. And so, but after that war, the Korean War got through, Douglas MacArthur made a prediction. He said it'll be a hundred years before this country ever, you know, gets back on its feet again. And in about 20 years, it was already booming under a capitalist uh, government, which was still to- pretty totalitarianism um, or tyranny. Was, it was pretty harsh in the, in the South. South, South yeah, Korea, in the yeah. South. You know, But North, they stayed under communism and they just floundered. And they are what They're they still, are now. Yeah. But now, South Korea continued to just boom, boom, you know, yeah. and just grow. And that's one of the things that, that can take place despite the fact that almost your entire country was demolished by war. Right. Um, I got on and started looking at, so I got on this USA Today article and talked to, and was reading about the caravan. And one of the groups that came up was the Pueblo uh, Sin Fronteras. And so I was like, I want to see what this group is all about. You talk about, and re, uh, listeners, if you want to get onto a rabbit hole, like whenever you read an article, whether the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, whatever, and they are quoting these people, and go look, go find out who those people are and who they are connected to, and I'm telling you, man, it is a freaking rabbit hole. And one of the things that I ran across was uh, this international call to action for the refugee caravan, which was put out by, um, well, the Pueblo uh, Fronteras had that connected to their their Facebook page. Um, And on here, they made some pretty drastic um, calls, but a lot of these groups that are connected to it, that are making this international call, they're far-left groups. Uh, A lot of them are democratic socialists. Um, You can look on there, and it's, I'm not just saying they're democratic socialists. That's their organization's name. It's in their organization's name. And a lot of them, if you click on, you know, their Facebook pages, if that's all they have or their websites, you see that they're pretty anti-American. And so apparently this international call to action for the refugee caravan, as it's called, was held November 25th, just, you know, a few days ago. And here are some of the things that it was saying. 
It says, we are demonstrating on this day to acknowledge and draw attention to the current social and political crises driving the exodus from Central America. We understand that these crises, drug wars, military coups, destruction of indigenous land for the benefit of corporations and environmental catastrophe in the region. Did you hear all of that? It says, are all symptoms of U.S. foreign policy, corporate profiteering, and war making. So everything that's going on in all these countries in Central America is our fault, hmm. is, is the fault of America. Everything is. Now, this group has also created or made six demands in this international call. Uh, you guys can read it. Uh, we're going to put the link into uh, the podcast so you can check it out if you want to read those six demands that they've made and the whole entire uh, call that they put together. It's pretty asinine. Um, Wait a minute. You're saying that they're making the people that are coming here well, no, the Pueblo Sin Fronteras groups, those groups, yeah, yeah, are making demands on America. Okay. Uh, yeah, and you have to they think, do certain things. You have to think about this, you know, because I always sat and said that there is a huge logistical problem with that many people coming in from such a long distance. I mean, if you ever read some of the history books with, let's say, the British uh, Army crossing deserts, the Sinai, in 1917 or um, when they were trying to go back into Khartoum in uh, 1898, 1899, it wasn't a matter of you just marched. No, they, they built railroad tracks. They had to carry water. They had to carry food. They had to carry food for the animals. Mm -hmm. There is a logistical um, solution that has to take place when you're transporting all those people. Mm -hmm. Where are they going to go to the bathroom? Yeah. Where are they going to sleep? Who's going to feed them? Where are they going to get fresh water from? Yeah. And they're getting it. All of it's being provided by these groups that are encouraging these caravans. Um, and people are like, oh, no, that's not. No, it's not possible to create these massive tens of thousands of people in a caravan all by accident. No, you have to orchestrate this Correct. and That's, it's 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 orchestrated it is and so and it's it's, it's, it's not to directly challenge our sovereignty correct it is to directly challenge our sovereignty and i'm not blaming the immigrants for that i'm blaming the american citizens and these groups that are putting these things together to undermine the very country that they're living in that's what pisses me off to no end um so something that we did want to discuss but for lack of time we can't but it's something that is very interesting to us is that the CIA movements within other countries mm -hmm. and, you know, the coups and assassination attempts or assassination successes um, and how, our, you know, sometimes the CIA's involvement or just American involvement uh, in other countries and undermining their sovereignty has, has messed with things. We do want to discuss that further in another episode, which we will. But I did mention Mexico a second ago, and I want to give props to Mexico for a lot of the things that they're doing. One, it's their problem right now because all of those immigrants are in their country, undermining Mexico's sovereignty as a sovereign nation. Um, but there are a lot of people in there. I would say probably 90% are truly there to 90, 95% are truly there to come to America for the right reasons, or at least um, honest reasons. But there are, there Did is... Did you say 90? I would say 90, 90%, 95%. i have heard that 90% of them are men just looking for work. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're coming over. It might not be um, that they can get in for asylum because it doesn't fit the bill or it doesn't fit the test. But it doesn't mean that they're coming over for the wrong reasons. They're mm -hmm. coming over to benefit themselves and their family, but it's not good enough to to get asylum. Okay. Um, so that's what I was saying. Um, but there, Mexico has deported about eleven thousand immigrants um, that have been involved in all of these caravans. They have they have moved them because typically because of stuff like the like the the rushing the, the wall. They deported all of those people. Um, at least the ones that were really causing uh, the ruckus and, and the violence and throwing stuff, they arrested them, deported them. Um, and so... Are they in the sixth caravan? They might be. You never know. Um, but I think, you know, Mexico is doing a, a good job of trying to, one, offer people um, asylum or, you know, help them out. Uh, and... I want to mention this real quick. 
Think about immigrants around the world right now who are applying for entry. Mm -hmm. It's not fair that they're sitting doing the right thing and they see... It's not fair if they get in. If these yes, people get if in. they yeah. right. Which, right, which is why you have to have the rule of law. You have to have the rule of law, which is why it's saying, look, if you want to get in, you have to go to the port of entries. And that's one of these claims or these demands like, no, we don't believe that the port of entries are clogged. Are you freaking kidding me? You just orchestrated these massive caravans. You better freaking believe that the port of entries are now clogged. If they were ever clogged, they're clogged now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really and I know, uh, I know President Trump shut down the border. Mm-hmm. I don't know for how long or if it's still ongoing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of workers from Mexico who depend on driving into the United right. States for their work. And now they're suffering because right. of it. And people who are these groups that are orchestrating all of this are looking only for a political agenda benefit. Um, and it's, it's, un- it, it's unfortunate because... They're not really thinking of the other ones who are honestly going in and out that have already gotten maybe their, their legal residence or their, their green cards or anything like that. When you shut the border down, you shut it down. And that's an, it's unfortunate for, for everybody involved. Um, what are your thoughts on Trump's handling of the situation? I'm grateful that uh, Hillary is not president because uh, I think she would have just let them all in. That That's... I, I'm grateful that he is saying, no, you you can't get in. Mm-hmm. Look, I saw the interviews of many of these men who you could see that they sincerely want to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, believe me, there are a lot of bums in this country right. that, that are just mooching off of the government. And you'd be like, man, I would give my, well, maybe not my right leg, but I would much rather have this guy come into the country and want to contribute to society instead of this sorry no good who's just mooching and and you know what i hope he can get in but not this way right don't force your way into my country don't force your way in because you're going to ruin it for everybody else it's like and we've i made mention of that like it's always it sort of goes back to kindergarten class where everybody wants to have recess you got 30 students but one kid is the complete idiot who ruins it for everybody and you have to stay in and do your homework right don't don't serve a nice steak Mm -hmm. on a garbage can right i guess that's that's terrible and no it's a (laughs) I actually heard that from Bill Cosby. You know what? Oh, God. (laughs) No, on the Cosby show, he was giving an example of how you can have a nice presentation, but if you get the lid of a garbage can Mm -hmm. and put that nice, delicious steak on there, it just ruins the whole thing. And it's the same thing. You have people who really could benefit this country Mm -hmm. and in the course of their work benefit themselves. Yeah. But do not defy our laws, our right. country, our border, yeah. our culture. Don't try to break the country in order to do it. Right. Because we are as, as successful as we are as a country due to the fact that we allowed immigrants to come in. That immigrants have come in. Right. And because they had to leave countries that wouldn't give them opportunity. Right. Uh, that we, wouldn't give them the chance to succeed. And they, despite how brilliant maybe that they were. Right. We want people coming in here who are proud I mean, they fought to become American citizens, Mm -hmm. and they proudly... Like your parents. Like my parents. Uh, I have a buddy of mine. um, I'll throw his name. His name is Kui. He's a great photographer here in Houston. He he came from Vietnam. He was a refugee himself. Mm -hmm. But he is so proud to be an American. He carries... He puts... He has a little lapel pin. That is... That's what you want. That's what we want. I want to end on a couple of things. Um... One, a hopeful letter uh, from Ben Franklin to Joseph Galloway. And I know I mentioned it earlier, uh, the phrase, passion governs and she never governs wisely. Listeners, beware of your own passions. Um, but he, he goes on to say, what we can't remedy, we must endeavor to bear. But I find it to me more and more difficult. Anxiety begins to disturb my rest and whatever robs an old man of his sleep soon demolishes him. I have, however, generally strong hopes amounting almost to an assurance that though we may suffer for a while, America will finally be greatly benefited by her present difficulties and rise superior to them all. I'm, assuming, I, I'm assuming Franklin wrote that because, you know, Galloway yeah. ended up becoming a traitor. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, Franklin wrote it. 
but it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, um, statement that he makes. And I, I feel the same way, um, about the, really every situation that we run into. Um, I believe that America will always rise above the situation. It's going to be hard. Um, and like he said, uh, it, I find it to me more and more difficult. And yes, it is not easy to deal with these certain situations, but if you do the right thing and, um, you also help people, but you also stick to the laws of the land, um, then you will always rise above. And that's what makes this country great. I'm going to end on this scripture. Um, as we always do, we want to end on a scripture, and this one is Deuteronomy 10, 18. It says, he ensures, and this is talking about God, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He loves, he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So with that, when we have people coming into our country, mm -hmm. you know, we need to help them. Yeah. Help them as much as we possibly can. Um, don't help them. Help them to fish. Yes, help them. Help to them fish. To fish. Right. Don't okay. just buy them a fish. Right. Help them to fish. Help them to become their friends. Get them to be acclimated to American cultures, America's cultures and traditions. But at the same time, learn something from them. I have had some of the most incredible conversations. I've learned so much from friends of mine who. Their parents or they came from a completely different country and just learning about their cultures and enjoying their cultures, enjoying their food, enjoying their, you know, learning about their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's, it's enlightening and it's enjoyable and you need to embrace, everybody needs to embrace people of different cultures, but don't embrace the idea of breaking laws right. in order to create diversity you go about it the wrong way what are your thoughts yeah it's uh, you know i think of a lot of my indian friends um they have they have contributed quite a bit to this country um and they've got their own little styles they've got uh, right. bollywood but uh, mm -hmm. but when when you have um you know mama ninfa I, I keep thinking of mama ninfa you know she she created a fantastic franchise. She mm -hmm. was a proud American, proud American. Yeah. Um, and she contributed to the American culture by introducing. Yeah. The, Fajitas, uh, baby. Uh, hey, uh, the oh, best. Yeah. I love going to uh, the original Ninfas. Yeah. But, uh, but that, that's, she didn't come in here and state that, you know, Texas or the United States has to follow her, her culture. Right. She contributed her culture to our culture right. and made the American culture an even better culture. Exactly. And that's what I want to see. I want to see people. I want to see people. I want to be here able legally. to not have to travel across the world to uh, experience somebody else's culture. Correct. And is it that difficult to explain? Come here in a legal process. Come here with our permission. Yeah. Okay, this is our nation. We the right. people. We the okay, people. this is not okay. Well, we're gonna storm your country. We created a pretty good country. Now, there's one thing that you did say is that you know we are a nation of immigrants. We were also an a nation of settlers. Settlers came here where there was no nation. There, yes, there were uh -huh. there were you know nomadic nations, mm -hmm. but there were no borders. There was no government like we have in Correct. the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And and it's. You know, if you look at the maps of Africa or North America, Central America, South America, back prior to European colonization, you'll notice that there were no borders. There were tribals, tribal areas. Mm -hmm. There were there were there were wars yeah. all the time. It right. wasn't peaceful. Correct. Okay, but they have adapted to the new way of establishing borders. Yep. establishing capitals right. embassies they, it's the it's the way it's that things work right it's, it, it's how it it it, it works mm -hmm. and tribalism and that's one of the fears and I, we got to wrap up but that's a fear of mine is tribalism getting into the american culture which is what you're running into right now where everybody is sort of against each other where mm -hmm. whether it's based on religion um political ideologies uh, well, and the way they vote, things like that. Yeah. Oh, we we have to have a we have to have a Latino, or we have to have yeah, this, or, or we yeah, have to have that. Like based uh, on running. race or religion or color, right. like uh, that goes against everything that we have as Americans have fought so hard 
to eliminate mm-hmm. that mindset and now you're going to try to readopt that it's it's idiotic well it's on the other side no it's not it's it's what it is and it's wrong all right uh sons of history listeners thank you so much for spending this long episode but this is our longest by far but it's a it's a timely subject and we hope we didn't bore you um if you can check us out on twitter facebook YouTube and Instagram. Instagram, baby. And yeah. we have our and we have our own website. Mm-hmm. Go check out the sonsofhistory.com. And along with that, if you are on your podcast and you haven't subscribed uh, to our podcast, uh, please do so. And please rate and review. And we will talk to you all later. Take care. <laughs>